And then with that, let's open our Bibles together to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 1. Hebrews 13, verse 1. And in today's installment of our City of Angels series, by the way, if there are flies buzzing around the person next to you, feel free to swat them. I felt like I was getting eaten up during worship. Um, But in this installment of the City of Angels series, I'd like for us to think about something that Christians, and so that's people of faith in Jesus Christ, should be known for. That there are some things that Christ followers should be identified with. Based on what Jesus taught about what we should be like, if we were Jedi Knights in just one area, it it would have to be this. There's a specific quality that we are supposed to be known for. Have you ever, by the way, been misdiagnosed in your life where you thought you were known for one thing, but you were actually known for something else? Have you ever thought that your life represented something over here, but everyone else thought that it represented something over there? You know, that can happen in a lot of different areas in our life. It can happen in our personalities, You know, whether you're introvert, extrovert, you view that differently sometimes than the people around you might. Um, Sometimes an introvert might think, I'm shy, and I'm just a little bit introverted, and and I lean introvert in my personality, but other people might think you're aloof or withdrawn. And and if that's you and you need therapy, there's a really great TED Talk (laughs) by Susan Cain called The Power of Introverts. It's fantastic. But we we can be misdiagnosed from our personality. We can be misdiagnosed by our race. And and that's just the sin of racism. Um, We we can be misdiagnosed by our status in life. Uh, Sometimes specifically divorced people get very misdiagnosed because of the status of having been divorced. In fact, as I relate with people who have gone through a divorce, a lot of divorced people misdiagnose themselves. And they need to be told that just because a marriage failed doesn't necessarily mean that you failed in your marriage. Now, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, I don't know. But, but I know some amazing spouses who were better spouses than people who are still married, but they were married to a person who made it impossible to stay married. And they didn't fail. And sometimes we have to reset some of those diagnoses that people uh, put on themselves. Uh, Sometimes we get misdiagnosed because of our faith. See, I think that my belief in a creative God is the most rational intellectual explanation for the genius level of complexity in the world around us. I think it makes the most sense. And yet someone else might think that my faith means that I don't believe in science. <laughs> and and, and I, I just think that's crazy. You, you, I don't believe in science. I think science is the, one of the most incredible industries in the universe. It's a gift from God and it reveals God to us. But it's very easy to get misdiagnosed when we're talking about faith. Uh, and, and sometimes people say, well, all religions are basically the same. And all religious people basically believe the same things. But, but, but if, you, if you get down below the surface, because on the surface, there are some similarities. Belief in deity, codes to live by. But if you told a Muslim, Islam is basically the same thing as Christianity, they would think you're crazy. 
Of course, it's not the exact same thing. It's, it's different. Um, and that can happen in so many areas of our life. When a non-Christian hears the word Christian, it means something different to them than when a Christian hears the word Christian. It's always dangerous when outsiders define a group, any group. When a non-Republican defines Republican, they might define it in a way that a Republican wouldn't identify with. When a non-Democrat hears the word Democrat, they think certain things that a Democrat probably doesn't think. When you hear the term used car salesperson, you think certain things. And if you were a used car salesperson and you didn't represent the things that come to people's mind when they hear the term used car salesperson, you would be very intentional to let them know, I'm not the things you think of when you hear the thing that I am. And Jesus understood this. Jesus knew that the larger culture was going to draw certain conclusions about his followers. And so in John 13, 35, he, he said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. And do you remember what the this was? Love. By this, and the identifier, the this was love. So if we are supposed to be uh, ninja warriors in one area of our character or our life, it's, it's supposed to be love. But, but, but love is actually a lot trickier than we might think. It sounds easy that it's all about love. It's actually a little more complicated than that. Um, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, <clears throat> the Bible says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So this is the NIV. In the old King James Version, it says, let brotherly love continue. When we started this City of Angels series, we all remember that LA's nickname is um, City of Angels. Anybody remember what Philadelphia's nickname is? Yeah, brotherly love. Anybody ever see the original Rocky? I think, I, I've, I've, I've used Rocky illustrations in my classes at APU. Students weren't even born when Rocky came out. It's crazy how we just age without even realizing it. I think Philadelphia is probably most known for Rocky's iconic run up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, but its actual nickname is the City of Brotherly Love. And lots of people know that Philadelphia is a Greek word. It's a compound word made up of two words, phileo, love, and adelphos, brother. Now hold your, your spot there in Hebrews 13. Uh, listen to some words from Revelation chapter 3. Um, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus delivers seven messages to seven churches of that time. One of the churches was called Philadelphia. I know last Sunday, Amanda taught us from Revelation 4. Did, did, did you love her message? She did such a great job last Sunday. But in the, the chapter prior in Revelation 3, John captures Jesus' messages. And in each of these messages, there are four elements. 
So Jesus uses a template with these messages. He gives them a revelation of himself. So there's something you need to know about me that you don't know yet. He opens every letter that way, every message. And then he gives them an affirmation. boy, well done. And then he gives them a rebuke. He challenges them for areas where they had dropped the ball. And then the fourth area with every one of these churches, he gives them a promise. If you overcome if you hang in there, if you, if you get the job done, this is the, the blessing that will come into your life. So there's revelation of Jesus, affirmation, rebuke, and promise in every single uh, message except one. In Revelation 3-7, the church in Philadelphia is the only time that Jesus deviates from that pattern. See if you can find what's missing. This feels like an elementary school game. What's missing? Um, Revelation 3, 7 says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So there's our revelation of Jesus. And then he says, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and yet you've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. There's their affirmation. You may feel like you don't have a lot of strength, but you've hung in there, and I see it well done. And then he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, but they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will write on them my new name, and whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's missing from that template? The rebuke. Out of, out of all of the churches, the only church, when you read these letters, the only one that doesn't get a rebuke from Jesus is the church of brotherly love. Which is probably why St. Augustine famously said, love, then do what you please. Because when we walk in love, we naturally do the things that the law requires, in fact, it's so fascinating when we read the Old Testament. Um, uh, scholars have counted up the rules. There are more than 600 rules in the, the law of Moses. There's more than 600 Old Testament rules. But when you read the Old Testament, when you read the Bible, as people grow in their understanding of God, the rules begin to shrink as they realize what the rules are really all about. So King David who was the man after God's own heart, he took 600 rules and he shrunk them down to just four. And in, in Psalm chapter 24, verse three, David said, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then he gives it to us. Those who have clean hands, pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. And then Micah, the prophet, he comes along after David and he one-ups David. And in Micah 6, 8, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, 
walk humbly with your God. He gets it down to three. Jesus one-ups Micah. And Jesus takes the entire Old Testament and he shrinks it down into just two commands. In Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the, the entire purpose of the Old Testament law was to position people to actually love God and actually relate with other people out of love. Amen. And then the Apostle Paul, who, who was so bold, he actually one-upped Jesus. <laughs> and in Romans 13, verse 8, Paul said, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Then in verse 10, he says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if there was just one thing that the church was supposed to be known for, it's love. I, I don't know how it could be any clearer or any more simple than that. Do you think that we are generally known by love today? Maybe we are, but do you think... Do you think we are? You know, it was said of Christians in the ancient world that they outlived, outfought, outloved, and outdied the world around them. Do you think that would be descriptive of, of us Christians in our day? You know, I know we're living in a time and in a culture where any disagreement can be viewed as judgmental or narrow-minded, but you know what I've discovered about people? I, I think that one-on-one, -on -one, at least, people are pretty smart. And people can usually tell the difference between a belligerent disagreement and a loving disagreement. See, I can disagree with you like a jerk, or I can disagree with you uh, like someone who's willing to love you and serve you. See, it's always easier to fight and criticize than to love and serve. In the world of uh, defending positions and perspectives, there's two approaches to defending schools of thought. One is apologetics. The other is polemics. Apologetics is when we build up our argument. We stack the evidence to build a convincing case for why my position is viable. Polemics is where you poke a hole in someone else's apologetics. Polemics is always easier than apologetics. And in our national uh, debate field today, we hardly ever hear apologetics, especially when we start looking at presidential debates. I cannot remember the last time I heard a brilliant apologetic where somebody painted an amazing, gorgeous picture of their perspectives and why it's so amazing. Usually what we see is polemics. It's not so much, this is my vision, as much as let me criticize yours. And then really what tends to happen is it devolves to a personal polemic. I'm just going to attack you. If we took what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount seriously, and do you remember what he taught? Love your enemies. Pray for the people that hate you. Go the extra mile. If we took that seriously and then didn't love our opponents or didn't serve the people that had different perspectives, then, then we would have to say that we aren't Christian. Or at least that our Christianity hasn't worked that deeply into our soul. And 
Incidentally, this applies to pastors and ministry leaders too. It's possible to have a mega church or global ministries and not manifest a lot of love toward people who disagree with us. He did not say, by your platform or by your reach or by your books, they will know that you're my disciples. He said it would be by your love. So, so we're in another election season. And I don't know if we will ever have election seasons that aren't complicated and, and confusing and emotionally charged. And, you know, I'm a mail-in voter, so I'm not going to actually step inside a voting booth um, this year or probably any year. But when I get my little ballot and when I check my little boxes, I am going to passionately, wholeheartedly vote my biblically informed, spirit-inspired conscience and then I'm going to sit across some dinner tables and have hopefully some really great conversations with some people who voted differently from me. And in those conversations, they're not going to think that I'm a bigoted jerk. They'll think that I'm a misguided religious fanatic. But they'll think that I'm a misguided religious fanatic that really loves them a lot. And hopefully I'll say some things that make them think. See, the noise and the anger of our I'm quick to cancel you culture, it's suppressing the genius and the brilliance of conversation and clashing ideas and debate and healthy confrontation. Yes, there are things that need to be opposed in our world. There are paths that are, are harming people in our world and, and need to be warned against. There are causes worth laying our lives down for. But in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all that's happening around us, um, anyone who claims Christ must have love as their identifier. Are we okay with that Amen. so far? Not really. Okay. Um, it's just because you're here, Donald, and you always... If you've heard Donald preach before, he's, he's always good at drawing the, the response out. Um, the, 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 these are intense times that we're living in. The more intense the times, the more our identifier needs to be love. And when we do that, a couple things happen. There's something really fascinating. Back in Hebrews 13, it says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. When we walk in love, we position ourselves for divine encounters. If you've ever been in a place where um, I feel like heaven is not talking to me, find someone to love. I cannot seem to get through the frequency is confused. I need a message from God. Uh, start walking in love. When we walk in love, we position ourselves for divine encounters. And if this is true, because this sounds like angels are real, and it sounds like there are times that we might not even know when they're around us. If this is true, then when our way of life radiates love, we can live a life that actually strengthens God's messengers. Now, if it's true, in the sense that we take that verse um, literally like that, then it's kind of a cool thought to picture an angel rushing kind of breathlessly into God's presence in heaven and, just, and saying, 
your majesty. Uh, I just came from hanging out at Hope City Church. And they're the real deal. They loved and served me as if I were you. And that's actually probably a better way to think about this than to think about serving and interacting with actual angels. See, um, I don't usually think I might be interacting with an angel and not knowing it. When I, when I deal with, with road rage, and am I alone in that, by the way? I'm getting a tiny bit better, but the only people who don't have road rage are the people who don't live in Southern California. <laughs> but, but I don't think to myself, I've got to curb this road rage because that fool over there might be a celestial angel in disguise. We don't think that way. So it's not so much thinking about a potential angel that motivates us, it's thinking about the fact that this is a person that Jesus loved enough to give his life for. Mother Teresa famously referred to the poor community that she served as Jesus in his most distressing disguise. And that's the starting point for learning to love people, especially people who are difficult to love. Um, the, the reason people are hard to love is because people are hard to love. Some people chew their tortilla chips with their mouths open or scuff their feet when they walk. Do any of you have those kinds of pet peeves? Now you know two of mine. But there are some people who disagree with me and believe differently. And I think those beliefs have consequences. And sometimes the differences and the disagreements make it difficult to love. Um, you know, we, we think that love is easier, but it's not. We, we always think when, when they took the 600 rules and shrunk them down to love, Jesus was making it easier. He was raising the bar. Do you know it's easier to be a legalistic rule keeper than to actually love someone self-sacrificially? It's, it's easier. When, when he said, love God and love people, he was raising the bar. In fact, he was raising the bar so high that we're not gonna be able to do this unless he helps us. Well, one of the ministries that Jessica and I, uh, in our personal lives, love and support on our own, and then we also support them as a church, is AIM, Agape International Missions. They're based in Cambodia, but their mission is to eradicate sex trafficking around the world. They're actually branching out into Belize, and they've asked if our church could be a front runner in helping support the work that's starting in Belize. So we may be going in the spring to do kind of a vision trip to check, check it out. But um, years ago, before we had met AIM or Don Brewster, who's the president, he and his wife Bridget, we were trying to raise awareness and learn a little bit more about trafficking. And so we were hosting a screening of a documentary called Nefarious. Nefarious is an expose on global sex trafficking. And during the documentary, they interviewed Don Brewster. And as soon as he came onto the screen, Jessica and I both had one of those Jonathan and David moments. Do you remember it tells us in 1 Samuel that when David went out to face the Philistine, it says that Jonathan had his soul connect to David and he loved him like his own self. As soon as Don started speaking, we had that, that same thing. We just fell in love with him. We reached out to him and his wife. We asked if we could meet them. We struck up a friendship, and they've been to our church several times. The last time Don was speaking, he told us um, something so simple, but it was profound. Uh, their ministry, by the way, has made such an impact in Cambodia. They have changed the rankings of the country. So 
There, there are international rankings about crime and safety, and, and you can find a ranking to know the, the dangers of trafficking in a particular place. Their ministry has lowered the ratings of Cambodia. It's crazy. And, and so because of the impact, uh, government officials and journalists are constantly interviewing him. And they always ask him this question. They say, how do your people keep from burning out? Because it, 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 anybody who works in any kind of a field of rescuing or restoration or therapy knows that burnout just goes with the territory. How do your people stay so fresh and vibrant? And here's his answer. He said, our love is attached to a different source. He said, we aren't any more loving than anyone else. He goes, if it was up to my love, I would have burned out. My love would have been dried up and done the first day. He said, but we're learning how to keep our love attached to the source that never runs out. And when you say, stay attached to the source that never fails, your love continues and continues and continues. It's, it's like a, a silly little story that I love from Norse mythology of when the ogre king challenged Thor to a drinking competition. And Thor, being Thor, of course, accepted the challenge. Well, the ogre king had this gigantic ram's horn that he would drink out of. And he filled the horn and, and Thor grabs the horn and he starts chugging the contents of this horn. But while he's drinking, the ogre king took the tip of the horn and he stuck it in the ocean. And so Thor is just drinking and drinking and drinking. And since he's Thor, since he's a Hemsworth, he, um, the, the waters of the ocean started to recede all around the planet. But, but not even Thor can swallow the whole ocean. And so he lost the challenge. See, when you're connected to the right source, it never runs dry. Um, in 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle Paul told us that there is a love that doesn't fail. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So, Apparently, it's possible to speak in tongues of angels and men and not love. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So I guess we can prophesy even and manifest a supernatural level of faith and not have a lot of love going on. Then he says, if I give all I possess to the poor... If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, <clears throat> I gain nothing. We can even sacrifice for a really good cause and come up short on love. But then he said, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and that kind of love never fails. My love fails. Human love fails. Our attempts to try really hard to be a really good, loving follower of Jesus fail. The, the things that we think will sustain love fail. One of the messages our world needs to hear today is that money and looks, <clears throat> and youth, and personality, and life experiences, and sex 
are not deep enough wells to draw a life of love from. If we want a life of love, we must be attached to the one who is love. And when we walk so closely with him that his love transforms our love, even God's messengers, even angels that we can't even see can be strengthened by it. Our angry and divided world has given us an incredible opportunity to model a different spirit and to represent a different kingdom than what's happening all around us. And listen, if anyone thinks that love or the Sermon on the Mount is weak or passive or isn't strong enough to change the world, they've never heard of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi or Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, when I was with you, I determined to know nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. Christ crucified, loving to the point of giving his life, is still powerful enough to change our world. Um, Amanda, you can come on back. In 1982, Beirut was at war, and West Beirut specifically was under siege. And Mother Teresa wanted to go into Beirut to rescue a group of children that were trapped in a Muslim hospital. Uh, Many of these children were physically disabled, and they weren't able to get out, and she wanted to to rescue them. So she, she went to the American ambassador and said, I would like to go in and rescue these children. And the ambassador said to her, no way. It's way too dangerous. There's no possible way that you could do this unless there was a complete ceasefire, and that's never going to happen. And she said, oh, well, I have been praying, and I have asked for a ceasefire tomorrow. So that's when I will go across. And he said, wow. He said, mother, I admire your faith. I admire your prayers. If there's a ceasefire, I will personally escort you. But he said, but you are dealing with a very stubborn prime minister. And she said, that's okay. I have been praying and I know that there will be a ceasefire tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's a ceasefire. It just stopped. He personally escorted her across and then Mother Teresa and a team of Red Cross workers rescued 37 children out of that hospital. Love is not passive. Love is not weak. See, even love is one of those terms that we associate different things to it. Love doesn't mean you don't stand up for anything. Love doesn't mean you don't risk anything. Love prays down ceasefires. Love kicks in brothel doors. The reason AIM has been so successful, they actually work with a SWAT team and they work with um, social workers and lawyers Love looks like putting your life on the line to rescue someone else. There's nothing passive about love. There's nothing compromised about love. Love loves until the point of sacrifice. Love is willing to stay in relationship and sit across the table and talk to people who may be your ideological opposite. And our world needs a lot more of it today. And in these early weeks under the tent, Even though our churches have been around a really long time, we're laying foundation. We're setting tracks that we're going to run on. And we've already decided as a church community that our mission statement is to to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. We want to do all of that under the banner of offering hope to the world, but we want to be a people that live by faith and that are known by love. I don't want somebody at your job to hear that you're a Christian 
and be surprised. Or to see something negative about you and then, oh yeah, they're one of those. No, when somebody knows that a Christian is supposed to embody love and then they know that you're that, I want them to say, of course. You didn't need to tell me that, it was obvious. It's harder to live than it sounds. But we have the Spirit, we have the one who is love. In fact, when we tell little children how to become Christians, we use language like, let's invite Jesus into our heart. Jesus was the embodiment of the love of the Trinity. God is love. Jesus was the embodiment of that love. So really we're saying, will you allow eternal love into your heart? Will you allow it to soften you and change you and move in every part of who you are and make you a carrier of that love for the world? So let's stand. Um, Some of you here today, you might be, probably are, in relationship with someone who's difficult to love. I won't make you raise your hand unless it would be therapeutic for you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I am trying to love someone who's very difficult to love. We probably all need a fresh dose of the love of God to help us love. But then if there's any person here and you haven't fully opened your life to this God who describes himself as love, this could be a moment to to process that, think about that and say, hey, if this is real, here I am. So let's just respond. We'll just worship for maybe four or five more minutes and respond to this thought in scripture today.